Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and I'm joined today by the president of Colehep Investment Advisors, Ed Colehep Jr. Thank you for coming on the show, Ed. Well, thanks for having me, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. I know our listeners will be fascinated with your story. In particular, what I've figured out over all these years is that a lot of really special businesses in the independent side start off as family businesses. So why don't we start by you telling the listeners your story from your perspective. How'd you get started in the profession and how did you get to where you are today? President, that's a big title. I didn't fall right into this right after I got out of college. So I, I ended up working for Disney for three years in Florida right after I graduated from college. But I knew that was not the chapter of my entire career, that a great time to do it was right after college. And it, and it was. So then I moved back to Pennsylvania and just was starting to think about, well, what should I do next? I ended up with one intermediate job where I was in educational marketing in a call center for about a year. And I realized I needed to look for something else. And from there, I ended up at Vanguard. I didn't really have a plan to go into financial services, but got my feet wet at Vanguard, got all my basic licenses and training and and those types of things. Wound up getting my MBA while I was there as well. And at the tail end of getting my MBA, my dad made me an offer to come and join him a little bit further down the road. And that was, at that point, that was late 99. And I joined the firm in the summer of 2000. And amazingly, here we are 20 years later already. So had the privilege of working with my dad for the last 20 years. And then my, my sister joined us 14 years ago. And we have two other great employees with us as well. So we'll dig into that a little deeper here. But let me go back a second on a couple of things you just said. So first of all, Disney, how fun, the happiest place on earth. So how many times have you taken your family to Disney? And do your boys know that you worked at Disney? Yes, the boys know I worked at Disney. It's a little hard to prove it when I'm there because the walking tour that I used to do doesn't exist anymore. But we have we have a lot of fun with it. My wife likes to joke that I was goofy. That wasn't true, but we have a great time with it. We try to go every, I'll say about every two to three years, try to take them down. And I still know my way around pretty well. So we, it's been really enjoyable. I would imagine something like that, an experience like that early on in a career, no matter which direction you go, really prepares you for first and foremost, maybe whether you want to work with people or not. I would guess you could learn really quickly if you're working at Disney, whether you like that, whether you like being around people. But also, I would imagine it also prepares you just in terms, assuming the answer is yes, I like people, it really gives you the ability to build that skill set to to deal with different people. And you need that in our advisory side of things, right? Very true. When I was there, I mean, it's all about hospitality and service. And you don't build relationships with with the guests the same way that you do with your clients, but it's still a really good way to learn. This is what it takes to work with people. Not all people are the same. You're experiencing all different kinds of cultures and all of those things going on as well. So it was a great training ground for the heavy duty one-on-one interaction that you do, that we do in our business. I think sometimes young 
in particular, younger people considering our business or just trying to find their way are discouraged about coming into our business because they don't have any of that experience. And so I like the fact that for our listeners, we're tying in that financial services broadly, you can benefit from other life experiences and still be really successful. Thank you for sharing that. My second question is the Vanguard period of time in your life. I believe you said that you, at that point in time, still weren't certain or didn't have any plans to go into the advisory side of things, the financial planning side of things, but you got all your licenses and did everything that you needed to do for that position. Another thing that discourages people is that licensing issue. If you don't know that this is where you want to go with your career and that you want to stay there for a long period of time, that probably feels like a huge investment. Do you remember feeling any of that as you were considering what they were asking you to do for that position? I do I do remember feeling that and there there was an element of overwhelm involved coming out of the gate I needed to get the series 6 and 63 before I could I was hired but before I could essentially get started but to to their credit they gave us a month of structured study time where we came and reported every day with our class and that was very helpful, but I do believe that's where there's a there's a disconnect for people who are looking to start out, and you know, not always someone in their 20s, but a lot of the time, that's my whole class. Everybody was in their 20s, so there can be a lot when you think about it, as far as just going through that big Dearborn or Kaplan book that you get, and all the questions and all the practice stuff that goes along with it. But having that understanding and really I you know you talk a lot about mentoring and I a lot about just having the opportunity for someone to share their story and to shed a little light on what their experience has been and fortunately I've had the chance to do that a couple of times with some some younger folks just to give them kind of the broad brush view of well hey this is what I went through this is how I got here I tried to encourage the investment in something like licenses or spending time learning about our business in other ways, because so many of these stories from our Cambridge Stronger financial professionals are an accidental story. They didn't know at the beginning that this is what they wanted to do, and you're just another example of that. So thank you for sharing. So let's go back to the family business. As I said earlier, family businesses tend to be really prevalent and successful in the independent space in particular, in my opinion. How is it running a business with both a father and a sister? And in particular, are there any challenges that arise that you can share in case they're listening? I think a great word is fascinating. It's one of the great honors in my life that my father made me an offer to come to come and join the firm. And there's so much to learn you know, I had the Vanguard experience and then you come into an independent RIA and it's just, it's completely different. I didn't have anyone that I knew at Vanguard. No, I didn't have any clients specifically, a lot internal at the company, but I didn't have any one-on-one -on -one relationships that I was building and taking people through a, a financial plan and helping them plot out a course to a successful financial future. So my dad helped me with all of that and he helped me adjust from 
really a massive corporation to a, a very small business with four employees at the time. So that was quite an adjustment, but he gave me the time and the space to, to develop. And then I got, you know, I did additional things, the series seven, the 65, the CFP and some other things to come along with that. So I tried to keep it where there was the family side and the business side. And for some reason I morphed into dad at home and Ed at work. But in my head, that was this, this fine line between business and personal and trying not to have the business take over and evolve into this 24 seven thing that anytime I saw him, we only talk business and we still maybe not as well now, but we maintain that line today. And then my sister joined us about six years later and that added a whole different dynamic because she also was at a crossroads and was her job was ending with a small firm that she was with and didn't really know where she wanted to go next. We talked it over, thought it was a great opportunity and came on that way. And it's, it's, real, it's neat, right? In some ways, professionally, you grow up with your father. And then a quick side note, he, he wanted to make me an offer right out of undergrad, but my mom talked him out of it because she said he really needs to go and get some experience and have some life experiences in some other places before you bring them in. And I, I really believe in hindsight that worked well. For our listeners, just a sidebar is that Ed Sr. also won the Spirit of Cambridge Award. So let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about the Circle of Trust. Explain to our listeners what the Circle of Trust is and how you implement that when you work with clients. Sure, sure. So plain and simple, the Circle of Trust is a one-page document that we hand to our clients in the planning process. And essentially, we have Colhep Investment Advisors in the, in the center, like a a hub and spoke type of approach. And the hub is Colhep Investment Advisors because we are really quarterbacking the whole experience. And the idea behind it is we were finding that we have the, this number of strategic partners, but we didn't have a really good way of explaining it and getting the clients to visualize it. So the circle of trust was born and that allowed us to show them in one place, this is really what we do for you. And if you have insurance needs or you have estate planning needs, you need someone for real estate or a different type of lawyer, you, you name it, we have it articulated on there. And we have Cambridge on there as well, because a lot of clients, they don't completely understand what Cambridge does and how they operate in the background and all the different ways that they, that they help us. And that there are occasions where Cambridge will communicate with you as a client. So it really just allowed us to have a nice, colorful piece of paper that showed all of our strategic partners and relationships in one place. So a couple questions on that to follow up. In today's era where everything is going virtual and digital, how did you convert that piece of paper into this new world? Are you sending it to the clients digitally? I assume each client, to some extent, has a customized version based on what you just described. So has anything changed? How is, it, how is it working today when you're meeting with all of your clients virtually? Clients do have a customized version, although the circle of trust itself stays the same. You know, not everyone needs four referrals into a strategic partner. They might only need an estate planning attorney. 
okay, for example, because they have everything else and it's more than adequate for their needs. But as far as how we deliver it, we used to send out these nice, I'll call it a kit, like a, a pre-planning kit that we would send out to a client before the first planning meeting. But now everything is electronic, digital, even, I mean, look at us today. You're in Iowa, I'm in Southeastern Pennsylvania, and we have the ability to interact like this. Whereas before, the amount of this I did was fairly minimal or it would have been over the phone. Now we're nine months strong of just meeting with our clients this way. And it's really been a forced, a forcing mechanism for a transformation to thrust me into the digital age. So now it's the beauty of, if I need the circle of trust in a meeting, I can, I can do the screen share. So, and they have it there. If sometimes clients can't, let's say they can't put their fingers on what we've maybe sent them ahead of time. So to have the ability to do it this way and share it is, is great. Do you think you'll go back with any of these methods? Do you think the clients have accepted it enough that you'll retain a fair amount of the virtual work that you do? In the very beginning, in March and April, I found that clients were resistant and still a lot of things happened via the phone. But then all of a sudden, they're all willing now to do it virtually. And I believe that we will always give clients the option to do a virtual, a virtual meeting. So I think they found that in the beginning, oh, I really need to come and see Ed or, you know, Ed and Ed. But now it's evolved to, well, we're probably not going to do this forever, but we'll do this virtual thing for as long as we need to. And if we at least have the option of doing face-to-face, -face, then that's good. Maybe we'll do it that way sometimes. I think it'll be fascinating to see what sticks and changes. We have the same experience in a lot of ways, early on, resistance, eventually. And I, my guess is it has something to do with virtual happy hours and virtual family meetings and virtual holidays. So all the clients, regardless of shapes and sizes, in particular age and the ability to become tech savvy, it's easy and somebody taught them along the way from their own families, likely, and now they're using it a lot. So it's easy to use with you too. Right. I, I completely agree. A lot of clients will get on and say, well, I've already been doing this virtual thing with my grandkids. That's how I keep in touch with them. So you're right. They've A lot of times they've already been, quote unquote, trained or, or shown by someone else before us. Speaking of grandkids, do you do any generational planning? Do you work with multiple generations in your practice? Yes, not with all of the clients, but certainly, certainly with some of them. And we are trying to make that a greater focus as we go forward, because the one thing that we've learned is everybody ages. And unfortunately, retirement ends for everybody at some point. So we are increasing our focus on, on the younger generation. And some clients have proactively brought that up as well. That's great. I think everybody... All of our listeners that are in our business or thinking about getting into our business should focus on that. It's pretty clear based on statistics, to your point. Everything does come to an end at some point. And we've seen the mistakes of businesses that have chosen not to approach that, and they shrink very quickly when it starts to happen. So good advice. So let's move off of business for a little bit. One of the most 
fun parts of my podcast has become the personal side of things, getting to know all of our guests on a personal level. And you and I talked a little bit earlier before we came online about Norway. Tell us about trying to convince your family and friends that you were a Viking when you were <laughs> studying abroad. How did that go? So it really was a, a multi-decade process. I didn't know I was going to end up in Norway for a semester. I, I did a project in seventh grade on Scandinavia and had that and then trips to Disney. There's a Norway pavilion at Epcot Center. And I had just always had an interest. And then in undergrad, I, a good friend of mine went to study in Sweden and he had a great experience. And then I, I just sort of pieced it together because my, my university didn't have any, any programs in Norway at the time. So I, I pieced all that together. I was, I was lucky enough in that semester that my dad came to visit me for a week. And unbeknownst to me, we've done that ancestry.com. And we actually have Scandinavian in our, in our blood. So that made it a little easier to convince the rest of my family that there's, you know, there really is something to this, this Viking thing and this desire to explore and experience different things. I'm more of an experiential and, and travel type of a person and really, really thrive in those, with those opportunities. Do you watch any of the TV shows? Did you watch Vikings? I've watched some of Vikings, some other things, you know, Lily Hammer and Occupied and some of these things that are on Netflix that have been pretty, pretty fascinating. Yes. My husband's convinced he was a Viking in a past life as well. So I also, especially during the more recent times when we've all binge watched a million shows because our favorite shows weren't on anymore and we were spending an awful lot of time alone. I've seen a lot of those. So I, I can understand the desire to explore. That's for sure. They had exciting lives. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell us about your family. I'm fortunate enough to know you well enough that I know you have two handsome sons. Will they take over the business someday? And if not, what are the hobbies? What do you guys do together? So I have my, my wife, Jennifer, my two sons, Brett and Matt, who are at this point 14 and 12. And that's really a great question. Will they take over the business? The real answer is I don't know, but we have been building little stock portfolios where they can try to do things that they either they consume or, or they use, you know, they play hockey. So we have Nike because Nike owns Bauer and macaroni and cheese is a big thing in our house. So we have, you know, Kraft Heinz, I could go on, but, but the idea is that they would have ownership in things that they have an awareness of. I love it. You know, rather than just something if I bought a pharmaceutical company for them, that's, that's nebulous. They don't, they wouldn't understand that. So, so we have that going on and that's, that's really nice. We love to travel as a family and both kids, like I said, play hockey. So that's, it takes a lot of time, but it's a lot of fun. And that's even gotten me pre pandemic anyway, a little involved with the kids and a little helping out with, the teams and my wife was team manager. So it's become a whole family affair and it's pretty consuming as far as, as taking time, but it's also, there aren't that many more years before they head off to college. So we try to embrace it. It's, you know, mostly hockey, a little bit of football. We've had other things in the past, baseball and things like that, but we're, we're pretty 
involved in their lives and that's that's the main hobby and that's the main time block right now outside of work i happen to have a passion for the weather and and nature and the environment and those things so i spend a little bit of time there when i when i have excess time any alone time available whatsoever yes we right. that is one of the things and i try to make this clear so that we don't discourage people from getting into our business. Most of the time when they hear us talking, myself and guests, about how much or how little, to be more accurate, alone or personal time we have for this, that, or the other thing, it's by choice, right? Our business is entirely flexible and some of us just really enjoy what we do, so we put a lot of effort into that, and then our excess goes to our families if we have one, and there's a little less time maybe available and focused on ourselves, but it's good to hear that you've got some interest and you figure out a way to slide some time in. Absolutely true. If, if I wasn't in this job, I would not have some of the freedom and flexibility that I, that I have now as far as getting to go to the kids' hockey games and practices and, and those types of things. We have a yellow lab and he's a big boy. He needs to be walked. So you just have, maybe you don't work all conventional hours and maybe you don't work, you know, maybe you work more than 40 hours a week, but it's still the freedom that, it, that you can build in and create as a result of that once you get systems and processes in place that allow you to be more focused and frankly the the more digital you can be i'm finding that just helps more and more as well where you've been a real i think cambridge has been a real leader in that one of many areas but in that area in particular that's afforded us some opportunities to do things that maybe we wouldn't have considered and you can have a little less traditional structure to your day maybe and and explore some of these other things someday you can do what you do from norway that's the goal right right Love it. So, Ed, we're coming to the end of our time, but is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you, your business, maybe getting into the profession, any advice, any last words? I would say for people who are looking to get into the industry, if they don't know someone directly, probably someone in their family maybe has an advisor or or knows of someone that they could have a conversation with. There's no problem with sitting down and having coffee or having lunch with someone and just saying, hey, what's your story? How did you get here? What do you like? What don't you like? And maybe you've already made up your mind that you're going to try to break into the business and, and get your start, but maybe you're just considering it as part of a couple of different options that you might have on the table. But I think that's really one of the best things that I've found with younger people, generally younger people that are getting in the business. And that's a very just be willing to have a conversation and just be willing to share your story and let people know that, hey, sometimes I get it from a client. My son or my daughter is thinking of getting into the business. Would you be willing to spend some time? Sure. Happy to do it. Because that's really the best way for them to learn. And that's the best way for them to decide, hey, maybe this is for me or maybe this is it's not what I thought it was. Great advice. Well, Ed, thank you for sharing yourself and a little bit about how you got where you are today and about yourself personally. It's great to see you, even though we're not in the same room. So keep smiling because that's the best part of, in my opinion, one of the best parts of your personality is you're always optimistic every time that I get to exchange with you. But you really demonstrate Cambridge's core values, which is why you were honored with the Spirit of Cambridge. 
and you are a perfect example of Cambridge Stronger. So we appreciate you trusting us to be your partner, one of those spokes on the hub, and we wish you and your business all the best for a long time. We've got a long, I know you said that you've been doing this for 20 years, but we've got a long time left and the business is going to change and evolve. And it's great to hear that your business has evolved already through a pretty traumatic nine months. I would agree. And as always, I, I appreciate you and the years we've had together and I look forward to many more. And thanks to Cambridge for all that you've done, well, for the industry, but in this case, more specifically for us as a firm, we wouldn't be where we are today without you. So we're forever grateful for that and look forward to many more years together. And like you said, just the continued evolution of the industry, we know that the speed of change is only increasing and continue to partner and, and work through any, any future challenges. And hopefully we'll be on the other side of the pandemic here in the not too distant future. Absolutely stronger together has never had as much meaning as it does today so appreciate you coming on and we will hopefully see you in person very soon yes thank you i hope so as well and and again thank you very much thank you for tuning in to cambridge stronger i invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where i have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com.